surprise. I bet you weren't expecting this. Uh, what's up, heretics? This is the church split minus Will. Uh, we went rogue tonight. This is going to be like the, the church split after dark episode. Um, we uh, we kicked Will off. It's just me, and I stole one of Will's favorite um, theologians, Jordan Ferrier. So we are going to talk about Romans 9 of all things tonight, which will be kind of interesting. Um, so yeah, we're going after a hard topic, even in a fun chapter, even with Will not here. So he's actually upstairs, and He's just letting us go. So uh, without further ado, uh, Jordan, welcome again. You've been Thanks, on a few Brian. times. Yeah. Well, I'm not a smart man, but <laughs> I'm here to be corrected. <laughs> I'm just trying to steal all of Will's friends and make them my friends. So this is yeah. this is one of my attempts at that. Um, so yeah, we're, we're going to talk about Romans 9 tonight. Jordan has kind of a interesting and unique view of Romans 9, so he's going to kind of walk us through that, and we're going to have some fun. And this will definitely be one of those times where I think you're going to challenge the status quo. Um, there's definitely several views of Romans 9, and I think we're going to add one that yeah, maybe not sure. a lot of people have heard, and it'll be kind of interesting. So um, we are first going to get into uh, paper comments. So the last video we had was actually, Jordan was on that one as well. We had uh, Father Gregory Pine on, who is a Catholic, and one of the comments we had was from Fighter Exos. He said, hey, now this is pretty interesting. It's nice to see some Catholic Protestant talks here. Growing up, I was raised in a very anti-Catholic household, though it was one parent more than the other. Still not a Catholic, still Protestant, despite some of them saying I'll convert, but I appreciate learning about them and their tradition. So, and I know, yeah, a couple people didn't like that we had a Catholic on, and uh, this is how you escape your echo chamber, guys. We're not going to bring on everyone that we just completely agree with. Uh, we're going to learn some things, and it might just strengthen your own arguments. Um, but also there's overlap. <laughs> so uh, I think someone said today that, you know, we were um, trying to find common ground is not something that Jesus was doing. I was like, but there is a lot of common ground with Catholics. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Augustine is a doctor of the church, of the Roman Catholic Church, and John Calvin said, I could write a full confession of my faith using nothing but quotes from Augustine. So there's overlap. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, uh, we're going to get into it, um, and we'll read a couple of parts of Romans 9 as we go through it. But uh, Jordan, give us your interesting take All right. on Romans 9. Yeah, so I want to start out with, uh, a, it's a paraphrase of Augustine. This is from uh, City of God, Book 4 and Book 5. And the paraphrase goes, the New Testament is hidden in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. So I think you've got a picture to bring up that kind of shows yeah. this is, I know this has gone around. I just saw it like on Baptist satire today. Uh, is that on the screen? That's all of the connections. Uh, I first saw that when Jordan Peterson talked about it, and he said the Bible was the first hyperlinked book. Is that the right word? I think that's what he said. Yeah, that's yeah, definitely the, the right word for hyperlink technology. Book. So yep. the length of the gray line underneath is how many chapters were in that book. Each gray line is a book of the Bible. And then uh, you, you can go and look this thing up. Uh, Chris Harrison is uh, chrisharrison.net is where it is. There's some really interesting information there. So, um, but yeah, that's, you know, the New Testament hidden in the Old and uh, the Old Testament revealed in the New. I think that's really neat. Yeah, I just think that's one of the coolest pictures that we have. Um, yeah, especially it's really neat. And I, I've read a couple of books recently about how to 
how to visualize different concepts, especially numbers. And I think that's a great visualization of just the quantity of cross-references that are going on in the Bible and the fact that um, there aren't any contradictions in it, and it makes sense and it builds its pieces up. Just It has to be divinely inspired. There's no other explanation for it. Yeah. <laughs> Sheep herders, goat yeah. herders <laughs> did this, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a little crazy to think that it's anything other than divinely inspired. So to, to explain Romans 9, I like to start with, um, I can hear James White screaming in my head, don't go outside the chapter of Romans 9. <laughs> but I just want to start with an illustration that um, I think will be helpful as we go through that I can refer back to. So um, just imagine I'm sitting at my kitchen table and I'm looking like a long way down like this. It's connected to my kitchen. So I'm, I'm sorry, the dining room table. I sit at the dining room, and that's connected to the kitchen. And my oldest son comes in. Hi, Keegan. And he gets a bowl of ice cream out of the freezer. You know, he pulls out the ice cream, scoops himself a couple scoops, puts it away. He goes, he walks towards me, and then he turns to my left and walks to the living room. So now he's in the living room, and he, can't, he can see me in the dining room, but he can't see the kitchen, okay? Mm -hmm. Then my wife and my younger son walk into the kitchen, and they go over to the sink, and they're, like, doing dishes and, you know, maybe fixing a little food or snack or something. I don't remember exactly what they're doing, but they start, they come in, and they're talking, and then they start to whisper. And I, I'm reading a book, so... It's fine with me, they're whispering, I don't really care. And I, but I hear, you know, you hear that whispering, you know? Mm -hmm. And my, my older son, Keegan, is in the living room and he hears the whispering. And he gets up and he comes and walks past me and I can see in his bowl that he still has more than half of his ice cream. And he like tiptoes into the kitchen, sets it, this bowl down on the island behind my wife and my younger son and gets out the ice cream, you know, <laughs> and slowly scoops a bowl, you know? So it's like, did he go to the kitchen, to the refrigerator to get more ice cream? Or did he go to the kitchen, to the ref you know, to the refrigerator to eavesdrop? Because he <laughs> heard the whispering, right? Yeah. So if you were sitting in the living room and you didn't see what was or hear what was going on in the kitchen, and you just saw him get up, you'd be like, well, he went and got ice cream. But if you're sitting where I was sitting and you saw the entire picture, you'd be like, oh, he went to eavesdrop. All right? <laughs> so perspective can completely change the meaning that you draw from that. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so eavesdropping versus ice cream. That's our, our example. All right, so let's go to Romans 9, and you got it pulled up there. Just yeah. quickly run through the first five verses. Yeah, Genesis, or Genesis, Romans 9, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. I'm speaking with the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the, the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Okay, great. So let's think for a minute. Um, 
like you were a Jew. And you are now in the first century. And Paul just wrote a letter to Timothy and he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. But what is scripture? It's the Tanakh, mm-hmm. right, at that yeah. time? That's just the Old Testament. They all, that's all they have. So those first five verses of Romans 9 talk about Israel, um, the people of Paul's own, own race. So if we look at Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, um, Acts 2, 10, and 11, it says that there were visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. So we knew that we know that in Rome there are both Jews and Gentiles, um, and you know we also know that they became Christians. So, um, so in Romans nine, Paul's talking about um, his own race. Acts two, there's there's Jews in Rome, um, and Romans nine. I I don't think it's controversial to say that some parts of Romans nine or the book of Romans, seem to be written to the Gentiles, and some parts are more directed to the Jews, but it's to both of them at the same time. But you kind of mm-hmm. get that flavor, like, uh, this chapter is for you Gentiles to explain to you Christianity as, you know, as its, a, its Jewish roots, and this is to the Jews to kind of explain to them, but it's not like I don't want the Gentiles to read this chapter, I don't want the Jews to read this chapter. It's for everybody, but it is sort of, Directed. Does that make sense yeah. to one group or the other? And more? there's even some assumed Jewish knowledge, right, as he's given this, this letter. Exactly. Okay, so let's imagine for a moment that you're a Jew, like, like Saul was. So Paul, you know, before <laughs> Saul, before he became Paul. So he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's living at the time that Jesus began his ministry in the land of Israel. The only scripture he would have had would be the Tanakh, In studying the Tanakh, you would know with absolute certainty that several things were biblical truths that you would not compromise on. So, in Genesis 17, the first thing that you would know is to inherit eternal life, you must be a physical descendant of Abraham. So, um, just real quick, in Mark 10, 17... Um, It says, as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So that's where I'm getting that, you know, that the Jews were asking the question, Mm -hmm. what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? So the first thing is you had to be a physical descendant of Abraham. And I'm just going to give you an outline so that, yeah, I don't think... I just think that the average Jew would have read Romans 9 and been like, oh, that's what it means. He's talking about ice cream or he's talking about, you know, he's talking about eavesdropping, not ice cream. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you had to be a physical descendant of Abraham to inherit eternal life. Every male must be circumcised. You can look that up in Genesis 17. And you had to follow the Mosaic law, Exodus 19. In addition to those three things, a Messiah, the anointed one, would come to rescue Israel. And I'd say go look at Daniel 9 for that. Um, Point number five, the Messiah will set up a physical kingdom and rule all of the land that Israel was promised. You can look in Isaiah 11, Jeremiah 23, and Ezekiel 37. Point six, the Messiah will conquer the land on the day of the Lord which would be Jeremiah 46. 
Point number seven, the day of the Lord will be great for Israel and terrible for the Gentiles. Jeremiah 46, Joel 2, and Joel 3. So the story of Israel under the Mosaic Covenant and the Tanakh was one of the people falling into a pattern of rejecting God, getting into trouble, calling on God, and being rescued, only to start the cycle over again. Yep, that's all judges. <laughs> right, and if you read Acts chapter 7, that's what Stephen tells the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin. Mm-hmm. He says, we did this, God rescued us. We did, you know, it's just this cycle over and over and over again. Okay, so I think we're on the same page, right? Yep. We've got seven points. Okay, so when David becomes king over Israel, God promise him that, promises him that one of his offspring will reign over his kingdom forever. The anointed one or Messiah was spoken of by Isaiah, Micah, Joel, and others. When the promised Messiah comes, he will restore the Jews to the land of Israel, and he will take vengeance on the foreigners that have been persecuting him. You know, I think of the disciples saying to Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, I want to be on your left, on your right. They're, they're like, you're going to set up a physical kingdom. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to serve on your left and your right, and we're going to stick it to these Romans. And there's another passage where Jesus is near Jerusalem, and he, like, sneaks away or whatever because he knew they were going to forcibly take him and make him king because that's what everybody expected was this physical reign him sitting on david's throne so at the time of jesus ministry the jews were looking for a messiah to defeat rome and restore the kingdom of david their understanding was that both of these things would happen at the same time there would be a great military victory the gentiles would be punished the Jewish people would be saved and restored to prosperity. The Messiah would establish a kingdom and rule over Israel. Um, and the disciples tried to secure positions at the left and right side of Jesus when he began to rule. So Mark mm-hmm. ten thirty seven, Matthew twenty twenty. So we can see how these points were assumed by the Jews when Jesus goes into the synagogue in Nazareth and reads from Isaiah and claims to be the Messiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The trouble begins when Jesus says that the Jews in his hometown of Nazareth have rejected him, the anointed one. Jesus describes how Elijah saved a Gentile widow during a famine, even though there were plenty of Jewish widows that he could have saved. Jesus describes how Elisha saved a Gentile of leprosy, even though there were many Jews in Israel with leprosy at the same time. The people in the synagogue were absolutely certain that the Tanakh taught that the Messiah was coming to save them, the Jews, not to save the Gentiles. In their mind, Jesus had just blasphemed God by calling God a liar, so he must be stoned. Hmm. That's where he takes them out and he you know, walks through them. Yep. So it seems that each group that interacts with Jesus is looking for the promised one, but each group believes that they are the ones that the Messiah will be coming to save. <laughs> When Jesus doesn't deliver based on their understanding of the Old Testament, covenants and promises, Romans 5, right? Or Romans 9, those first five verses, Jesus ends up betrayed and crucified on Passover. He's not, he's not doing what they believed the Old Testament taught, the Tanakh taught. So 50 days after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, the followers of Jesus are gathered on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is given, replacing the Mosaic law which was given on the first Pentecost. So the Passover in Egypt where the, um, 
where the firstborn were killed. Mm -hmm. Then they went into the desert. Fifty days after that, Moses goes up and is given the law. So um, the Holy Spirit is given on Pentecost. It replaces the Mosaic law with the new covenant spoken of by Jeremiah and Jeremiah 31, 33, when God will write his law in the minds and on the hearts of those that believe. So Peter was the apostle to whom Jesus had given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. On Pentecost, he opened up the kingdom for the Jews. Then Peter travels to Samaria. He opens up the kingdom of heaven for the Samaritans. At this point, the Gentiles are the only group of people that have not been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Jews, like Peter, hold the belief that when the Messiah comes, he will be punishing the Gentiles. Because mm -hmm. when the Messiah comes, the day of the Lord takes place, it's terrible for the Gentiles. So the Holy Spirit sends Peter a vision, to, or God, <laughs> you know, to convince him to accept the Gentiles. Peter travels to the home of Cornelius. He opens up the kingdom of heaven for the Gentiles. The Jews that were traveling with Peter were astonished that the Holy Spirit was given to the Gentiles because it directly contradicts what the Tanakh says in their understanding. Mm -hmm. The news that the Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit quickly spread across the country, and when Peter returned to Jerusalem, the believers there criticized Peter for even going into the home of a Gentile. <laughs> so this theme continues with the, with the Apostle Paul. Each time Paul arrives in a new city, he goes into the synagogue to teach. The Jews are happy to listen to him as he shows them that Jesus is the Messiah promised in the Tanakh. The Jews are even able to accept that the Jews in Jerusalem rejected the Messiah and put him to death. But when Paul tells the Jews that the Gentiles are in the new covenant, they reject Paul. <laughs> they reject his message. They reject Jesus. Yeah. So this is what I believe Romans 9 is. This is the message that Paul used to tell the Jews that the Gentiles were included in the covenant. That's what he's doing in Romans 9. And why some Jews were not believing in the Messiah. Right. So what Paul needed to do to prove to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah for both the Jews and the Gentiles was to show the Jews from the Tanakh how the Gentiles could be included in the new covenant. Paul didn't need to explain to the Jews that God was sovereign and every person had been elected or <laughs> reprobated from eternity past. Paul needed to find an example from the Tanakh and when the Jews were under the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants of males who were loved or rejected by God based on something other than the physical descent from Abraham, something other than circumcision, and obedience to the Mosaic law. Because mm -hmm. that's what is assumed. So let's look back at um, the, the rich young ruler. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And... Um, you know, Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, all your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. So he's saying in that sentence, he's a physical descendant of Abraham because mm -hmm. from his youth, he was circumcised from his youth. He's kept the law from his youth. And he's asking Jesus, are you the Messiah? I have position, right? I have all this money. I want to be in the kingdom mm -hmm. that you're going to set up right now. That's when he's saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's what he wants is a position in the kingdom that Jesus is going to set up right then. And Jesus says, well, go sell everything. <laughs> and he goes away sad. And it says, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. 
I mean, do great possessions make people sad? <laughs> you know, it's not that he didn't go away sad because he had lots of money. He went away sad because he thought Jesus was the Messiah, and in his mind, he's not. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, it's kind of funny I mean, for a Protestant to read that verse too, because a lot of Protestants would read that and go, "Well." Jesus is preaching works-based salvation right there. That ain't right, right? Yeah. <laughs> justified, justified by faith yeah. alone. Jesus, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, sell everything, give it to the poor to inherit eternal life. Yeah, exactly. And I also think it's funny because, like you said, all these different people groups are saying that the Messiah is for them. and yeah. and But the one that they're constantly excluding are the Gentiles. And I find it really interesting that now that's been flipped. Right, and now yeah. it's a whole bunch of Gentile Christians. They're like, "Well, it's not for the Jews, though." <laughs> oh, this is a, you know, the New yeah. Testament's not Jewish. You know, the Jews yeah. don't count. They rejected him. They're out. It's just us now. And right. It's there's like, a lot of verses in the New yeah, Testament that but, are like, "No." <laughs> but if you you know if you believe like I explained that that Peter opened up the kingdom for the Jews at Pentecost, he opened up the kingdom for the Samaritans. And then he opened up the kingdom for the Gentiles. The kingdom is for everyone. Those passages where it's talking about Gentiles being grafted in and that, that's, mm-hmm. I think those are more warnings to not be like Israel in, in the Tanakh. Where yeah. you, you know, because if you do that, you'll be cut out and someone yeah. else will be grafted back in. Just like Hebrews 3. You, your ancestors screwed this up and couldn't get to Canaan because they had a crisis of faith and they believed a lie. Don't do the same thing. So... And us Gentiles are just as capable of doing that as, as ancient Israelites were. Yeah. So what I think Paul is doing in Romans 9 in those next verses is he, Paul, Paul uses Jacob and Esau as an example of two physical descendants of Abraham. They were both circumcised, and they had not, um, but before they had been circumcised, um, and they had not yet had an opportunity to interact with the Mosaic law, yet one was loved and one was hated. Mm-hmm. So Paul was showing to the Jews from the Tanakh with the example of Jacob and Esau that they had misunderstood the Abrahamic covenant, that God's purposes in election were to bless all people through Abraham, which is what his covenant was with Abraham, that all people will be blessed through you, not just your physical descendants, it's all people will be blessed through Abraham. And that while man looks on the outside at genealogies and physical descent, man looks on the outside at circumcision and and adherence to the Mosaic law, God looks on the heart. So to further prove to the Jews that the Gentiles can be included in the new covenant, Paul refers back to Exodus where God tells Moses, the person that he gave the Mosaic law to, that he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. So if God wants to include have mercy on the Gentiles and include them in the new covenant, that's God's prerogative. Mm-hmm. This isn't about, you know, having mercy on whom I will have mercy. is about God being able to have mercy on the Gentiles and include them. So Romans, in Romans 4, Paul is making the case that the blessing that God promised to Abraham was both, for both the circumcised Jews in Israel and the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, and that anyone that shares the faith of Abraham will share in the promise of eternal life. Um, so I have 10 commandments, passage of Exodus 20, God said, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Paul uses the example of Pharaoh to explain that just like Pharaoh, the Jews have rejected God over and over again. And now God is using Israel, 
just like he used Pharaoh to show forth his power so that his name will be proclaimed in all the earth. So Paul goes on to say that God has called both Jews and Gentiles. He quotes Hosea as evidence that the Gentiles would become the people of God and his loved one. Paul makes a similar case to the Gentiles in Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So the message in Romans 9, as I understand it, you know, that Paul is giving to the Jews is the same message that Paul is delivering to the Gentiles in Ephesus. The promises that God made to Israel have not failed. The Jews read the Tanakh and believe that the Messiah would come on the day of the Lord and all of the events related to the Messiah and the day of the Lord would take place at one time. There wouldn't mm-hmm. be two, you know, we, we know now there's two comings. Mm-hmm. And in, you know, 2 Thessalonians 2, um, Paul tells us that while Jesus is the Messiah, the day of the Lord has not yet taken place. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The, the promises of God have not failed. So in Romans 9, he says it's not like the promises have failed. Those are the promises that he's talking about. Mm-hmm. The day of the Lord promises haven't failed because the Messiah will come a second time and then the day of the Lord prophecies will be fulfilled. And the Jews were just mistaken. <laughs> you know, they read the Tanakh and they had this, you know, this mindset that was like in cement. They could not, you know, conceive of any other way that you could um, interpret the Old Testament. Well, at least that doesn't sound like Christians nowadays. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't sound familiar <laughs> to all of us, does it? We're very malleable, and we d- we can change our minds yeah, easily, right, easily. guys? <laughs> yeah. So in Jeremiah 31, God said that He would make a new covenant with Israel, and that people would no longer say, "The parents have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge." Instead, everyone will die for their own sin. And Paul indicates that the new covenant has come when he says in Romans 2:6. He will render to each one according to his works. Um, and that that's what I have on Romans 9. So, I mean, if you want to go through different verses, we can, but I really just wanted to, to give a quick perspective. Yeah. You know, that I think that if you're, it, to me, it's like the, the eavesdropping versus ice cream. If you get the perspective that Paul is coming from, that the Jews were rejecting Jesus because he didn't fulfill the day of the Lord um, prophecies. And, you know, what's interesting, I was listening to Ben Shapiro at the University of Wisconsin, and it was like an hour and a half long. And the very last question, a guy stood up, a young guy, and he said, why isn't Jesus the Messiah? Ooh, he asked him yeah, that. Yeah, he asked Ben Shapiro that. And Ben Shapiro that. said... Because he didn't fulfill the day of the Lord prophecies. <laughs> he didn't restore Israel to the physical boundaries promised in the Old Testament. He didn't kick out Rome. Yeah. So he couldn't be the Messiah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's, those are the seven things that they absolutely knew for certain mm-hmm. were going to happen. And you, you, know, you have to be physical descent. You have to be circumcised. So that's why I think you know, Romans 9.13 is... It's, you know, unmistakable in my mind. 
It, it has to be individuals. That that's what he's talking about. It's not, he's not talking about nations there. He's talking about individuals because he needed to find two individuals, twins, that, be, that were both physical descendants, but before they had been circumcised and before they had obeyed or not obeyed the law, one was loved and one was hated by God, to show them that it wasn't physical descent, circumcision, and adherence to the law. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. That he's using Jacob and Esau to refute that mindset that is causing the Jews to reject Jesus as the Messiah. Yeah, look at it where, you know, you have two examples here, right? You have you have Isaac, and then you have Jacob and Esau. And I think, you know, I think maybe more of the classical Arminian view would say that uh, Isaac is being referenced here to say that it's not just genetic. It's not your bloodline that means you're in or you're out. And then Jacob and Esau, like you said, chosen in the womb before they have done anything. It's not about their zeal for the law, they're doing righteous acts or not that will get them there. This is this is God that's making the choice. This is God that's acting, and God has chosen to include the Gentiles. God has chosen the act of mercy, which is the cross, and that's what it's talking about with he who wills. He's willing this method of mercy and this this target of mercy is more than just the Jews. Would you agree yeah, with that? Yeah, that if God wants to have mercy on the Gentiles and include them in the new covenant, then the Jews shouldn't be mad. <laughs> <laughs> because it's, it's up to God to decide who he's going to have mercy on and who he's going to include in the new covenant. And, you know, there's the Old Testament, you know, references there that show that God was going to, you know, people that are not my people. They're, they're, those are the ones that he's going to make. Um, into his people. Um, and the other, you know, another passage that I think really um, is interesting to look at when it comes to um, to this, you know, besides Ephesians 3, I think I have it typed out here, is um, uh, the story of the prodigal son. It's yeah. just amazing. Um, boy, I hope I can find it real Unlike quick. Unlike the story of Lazarus, which is not actually a, uh, oh, yeah. so a story of of salvation by God, but the prodigal son is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. Uh, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So think of the younger son as um, the Gentiles. So the younger son said to his father, give me my share of the estate. He divided his property um, between them. So the younger son got together all he had, set off to a distant country, squandered his wealth and wild living. After he spent everything, there's a severe famine. He comes to his senses. Um, he returns to his father. So while he's still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to his father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So if you think of the younger son as the Gentiles, they're the ones that are gone, mm -hmm. that have spent this time away from the father. And when, they, when the younger son comes back, 
he kills the fattened calf, and the fattened calf would be enough to feed the entire village. You don't kill the fattened calf for your own family. Mm-hmm. There's no refrigeration. <laughs> you, you kill the fatted calf, and you have a celebration, and everyone is invited. Mm-hmm. So it's not exclusive to your family. It's to everyone. So then, but the older son was in the field. When he comes to the house, he heard music and dancing. So the older son is around the father all of this time, yep. while the younger son is, has gone astray. So he calls a servant. The servant says, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother becomes angry and refuses to go in. Who does that sound like? <laughs> That's angry that yep. the Messiah has come, but not specifically for them. Yeah, not is, in the exact way that they expected. Right, and the <laughs> and the father is doing good things for the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. So the the older brother is angry that something good is happening to the younger son. Right, he says, "I've been." all these years slaving for you, and you wouldn't even give me a goat. And you think about the goat. The goat is just enough for him mm-hmm. and his friends. That's what he's mad about. The, the Messiah didn't come and, and sacrifice a goat and just bless the Jews, the older son that had been there all this time. You know? yeah. I mean, you just the parallels just pop out to me that there's that deeper level in the story of the prodigal son, that, that the younger son is the Gentiles and the older son is, you know, represents the Jews. And, I mean, Jesus calls it. And who's surprised? Yeah. <laughs> that, that he knew that the Jews were going to reject him because they're, they're mad. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely makes sense. Yeah, just, I think that's really neat. So Yeah, and I think it follows well, right, because then the end of chapter 9... Verse 30, it says, what shall we say then? And that makes sense, then being what you just talked about. the How is it that these Jew, these Gentiles are included if these promises are still intact? It says that, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as is written, and it goes on. But Yeah, it sounds like the older brother. Yep. I stayed home and did everything right. Yeah. <laughs> I pursued it by works. Yeah, you just know? because you're zealous about your works, that yeah. is not the method in which God has chosen to give mercy. Who were you, O oh man, to question the method by which God has willed to give mercy to his people? Yeah. That's really cool. Um, now, I think we'd be remiss if we don't, I think we're going to get at some accusations from Bobby Calvinists, if we don't talk a little bit about um, the potter and his clay and oh, sure. yeah. Pharaoh and um, being hardened. And so how would you address that? How would you address the what's going on with Pharaoh and what's going on with these vessels of wrath? And Right. Um, I think that if you read Stephen's speech in Acts... Um, where he he goes before the Sanhedrin, I believe, and you know he says to them, "Look, you're the ones that that rejected the Messiah. You're the ones that crucified him, mm-hmm. and you know they stone him for blasphemy because he's calling God a liar. Because the Messiah, the Tanakh says, the Messiah is coming for them, mm-hmm. not for anybody else. They're the ones that are the leaders. So the Messiah would be coming for them, not." For anyone else, um, 
So, yeah, Stephen's saying that you guys have screwed up. There's other places in Acts where I believe Peter says that they take him before um, and they tell him to be quiet, right? And, and they say to him, you're going around town accusing us of this man's blood. Mm-hmm. They're, because they're saying, that, you know, he says to them, you crucified the Messiah. It's your, by your hands that the Messiah was killed. So they're the ones that rejected the Messiah. So in John 6, 44, um, it says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written, they will all be taught by God. Just like the potter has the right to make vessels, um, you know, for honorable and dishonorable use, the, the passage in the Tanakh says that, you know, there's this saying that parents have eaten sour grapes and it's passed on, you know, the children and the, the sins are held accountable. Well, Israel has rejected God over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And now um, Paul says in what Romans 10 or Romans 11 that a partial hardening came on Israel. Yeah, Romans 11. And so what he's saying in John 6:44 is they can't come to the Father because God has rejected them at that temporary partial hardening. Those, um, the leaders of the Jewish leaders could not come because God had rejected them just like just like Pharaoh. That's what I believe mm-hmm. the Pharaoh passage is about. He's saying that God had the right to make you reject the Messiah. Even though the Messiah has come for everyone, he had the right, just like he used Pharaoh, he used the Jews to crucify the Messiah mm-hmm. to bring salvation to everyone, Jews yeah. and Samaritans and Gentiles. And that's why 644 says that they couldn't come because God wasn't drawing them because he had temporarily hardened those leaders and people so that they would crucify the Messiah. And that's why later in John, he says, when Jesus says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men. Because after after he is crucified, the Jews are no longer being hardened by God. They're not, this Pharaoh passage isn't about them. Paul's explaining to the Jews why God used them to crucify the Messiah. That's what that passage about the Pharaoh and Romans about Pharaoh and Romans 9 is. Again, he's going to the Old Testament. He's bringing an example from the Tanakh to prove to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. And to do that, he had to find an example in the Old Testament to show to the Jews why it would be legitimate that Jesus was the Messiah and the one that Jesus was supposed to be sent to would crucify him. Yeah. That makes sense. It does, and I and I think our probably our Calvinist friends are cringing at the fact that you pulling their hair out. Well, (laughs) you you said temporary twice with regard to to hardening, and because that would go against this idea of of you know choosing. Well, yeah, reprobation from the foundation of the earth. Exactly, exactly. But Mm -hmm. I think you don't see in Romans nine this. you, You see this choice for mercy, but you don't see that that double predestination. You don't see that choice for destruction. You just see that. I think what, what verse is what that they um. See if I can find it real quick. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, Calvin says he he passes over the reprobate. Yeah. But um, 
Yeah. But temporary temporary makes sense, and I think your your citation from John flows into that. And I think it's not this thing where they've been they've been hardened forever, and it's not necessarily hardened against no chance of salvation. But there right. is a time that because God is fulfilling His will, and it's kind of I wanted to find the clip, and maybe I'll find it for this, and I'll drop it in. But James White does a debate, and someone asked them, asked James White why Pharaoh was hardened. And it's kind of interesting because he actually gives a very Molinistic answer where he says, <laughs> well, if he didn't, Pharaoh would have let him go, and, and God would have not f- uh, shown his full power to the Egyptians yeah. and then had things like Rahab being saved later, right, where she heard about God showing his power in Egypt and, and the Hebrews escaping. So it's kind of interesting that even James White, it, it's hard for us, I think, to to consistently speak around what Scripture says, and I think we'll accidentally divulge the truth, even if it doesn't fit into our soteriological framework or our knowledge of of, of this type of theology. Um, so it's kind of funny. I just wanted to point that out that I, James White, you you did say that. I'll find the I'll find the <laughs> clip. Um, but yeah. it's kind of interesting. But the temporary hardening, I think, is. I think a lot of Calvinists are going to have a problem that you said that because they see that as a eternal choice, not temporary. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's temporary from John six through um, through the crucifixion. Because mm-hmm. that's the time that they're hardened. Because Jesus Himself says that when I am lifted up, I will draw all men. So the the ones that are not drawn. Are, it's that it's only for that period of time, and that's what Paul is explaining in Romans nine with Pharaoh that God used the Jews like He used Pharaoh to crucify the Messiah, and that's why they're mad. That's why <laughs> because they're the leaders, and the Messiah was supposed to come save them. They're absolutely yeah. sure that's what the Tanakh taught. It's ice cream versus eavesdropping. Mm-hmm. If you know, if you think if you think he went to get ice cream then this is about election of individuals from before the foundation of the earth. If you think it's about eavesdropping, then it's about God's purposes to bless the entire world through Abraham. Yeah. And he used election to accomplish that purpose. So that's, you know, and so it's about, it's either about God's purposes or it's about election. And I believe it's about God's purposes using election to bless the whole world, which is what he promised Abraham. And yeah. I think we see that, and we see that in Ephesians. It's, there's so much confirmation. And I, I really think when I first um, like went through and wrote down these seven points and started you know, thinking about those, that you have to be a physical descendant of Abraham, you have to be circumcised, you have to follow the Mosaic Law, and then the three things about the day of the Lord... Um, man, you see it everywhere. You know, like mm-hmm. the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he's like, da, da, da. It's like, oh yeah. So he's a physical descendant. He's circumcised and he followed the law. Yep. Therefore, I'm here to be part of the kingdom. Yeah. And, and Jesus saying you didn't follow it by faith. Yeah. And then in <laughs> Ephesians, I mean, there's places in Ephesians and the other gospels where Paul says things and I'm like, oh yeah, Paul's saying, look, I was a Pharisee of Pharisee. I was circumcised. I followed the law. I was a physical descendant of Abraham, and it didn't do me any good. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, yeah. you, you start seeing it in place after place after place in the New Testament as you read through it. Now, so. I think there's several different views on Romans 9 as far as is it 
completely salvific? Is it not salvific at all? Is it somewhat talking about salvific issues and some not? What would you what would your take be with with the synopsis you just gave? Well, it's it is about salvation that that God wants all people, you know. God is not willing that any should perish. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's it's it's there in multiple places and we know it's there in multiple places because there's entire books written to say that the places where it says that God is willing, you know, everyone to be saved isn't saying that it's everyone. Yeah. You know, it's it's places and people or, you know, I know I'm not doing it justice, but um, I think people that are familiar with Romans 9 will know exactly what I'm talking about, <laughs> that those passages have to be explained away. Yeah. Um, one other, I think, sticky verse for Romans 9 that I'll hear a lot, especially when talking to Calvinists, but this isn't all about Calvinist perspective, because I'm sure we're upsetting a couple Arminians as well, um, and some others. Uh, verse 11 says, um, though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad, so this is talking about Jacob and Esau, mm-hmm. in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. And that phrase, I know several people will jump all over. It's about him who calls. How do you how do you add that, or how do you explain him who calls here with the idea of Jews and Gentiles in Romans 9? Well, everyone is called now. Do you go back to... Well, to that, John for that perspective. Well, yeah, that's well. It's more than John. It's it's yeah. a, it's all throughout. I mean, um, it, it's in Hebrews. It's in you know Ephesians. There's there's multiple places where you know Peter says. I keep saying God is not willing that any should perish. First Timothy two. Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. Um, you know, it's it's in Hebrews that that. Christ died for all. Mm-hmm. It, it's multiple places that it's for everyone. And the, you know, like I point to the the story of the prodigal son. It, he didn't sacrifice a goat. Sacrificed the fattened calf yeah. because it could feed everyone. It's and that's why I say Romans nine. If if it's about eavesdropping, <laughs> you know, if it's about the, what Paul is saying to the Jews. This is why the Gentiles are included in the New Covenant. This is why the promises and covenants in the Tanakh haven't failed. They've been fulfilled. They haven't failed. They've been fulfilled. The Day of the Lord um, promises are yet to be fulfilled. That's Second Thessalonians chapter two, the, or chapter one. That day, the Day of the Lord has not yet come. Yeah. Don't let anyone tell you that it has. So it hasn't come yet. Mm-hmm. So you can't. You know, those are yet to be fulfilled. There's prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament that have not taken place. Yeah. Which Ben Shapiro pointed out, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And the and the you know, the address that I was talking about. So Yeah, and I think, you know, I like how you started with, you know, try to put yourself in a Jewish perspective, first century to really understand this. And I think a lot of times we get we apply our own modern debates this right you talk to a couple people about this and they'll say well look it says is there injustice on god's part by no means and they're saying well because you think that god's not a determinist is how dare you say that who are you a man you reply to god yeah yeah and i think but paul is is saying to the jews (laughs) yeah he's not god used you to crucify the messiah who are you to reply against god 
Paul is not weighing in on a Calvinism versus Arminian debate no, on Facebook not at here. All. He's weighing in on a Jew versus Gentile debate first century in Rome. And like you said, this is probably an argument he'd be making all over right. the place. It wasn't and, and just you talked Rome. about the first few verses of Romans 9, where mm-hmm. Paul says, I myself would be cut off. Yeah. Right? If if the Jews could if the if it would if the Jews would be saved, I myself would be cut off. How is that not, you know, a red flag that he's talking about eavesdropping? Yeah. <laughs> you know? He's saying, look, Jews, please, here's the explanation of why Jesus is the Messiah mm-hmm. and why the Gentiles are included in the New Covenant. Yeah. I just you know, the when you have that perspective, to me it all falls into place. Yeah, and I think I'm glad you brought the beginning again because I think it's really important. Picture Paul, a Jew, who has already been confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. He has seen the glory of Jesus face to his face, was blinded by it, was humbled by it. He talks about some spiritual experiences that he had that he's not talked about because he thinks it'd be boasting. He talks about it in Second Corinthians. And here he is saying that he would wish that he himself would be accursed and cut off from Christ if the Jews could be saved. Um, that's quite a loving statement. And yeah. I think when you talk to some Calvinists, you're like, well, you know, God only loves the elect. He doesn't love those unbelievers. I go, well, Paul did. So is, is Paul showing more love than the divine Trinitarian God who is of one of his attributes, love? I can't imagine that. And I've mentioned this a couple times, or brought this up on Twitter a couple months ago, and I asked the question, does God love his enemies? And it kind of frustrated some people, but I think it has to be yes. <laughs> yeah. Paul was loving them. Paul's loving these unbelievers, his, his kindred in blood, these Jews. And I think we have spent way too many centuries as a church hating on the Jews, thinking we're special. And I find it ironic... Yeah. That the Jews spent centuries doing the same thing against the Gentiles. Yeah. Galatians 3, there is no Jew, there's no Greek in Christ. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, I listened to a, a Leighton Flowers talk about Romans 9 today, just to kind of have it fresh in my mind for tonight. And, yeah. And the, the Calvinist said to Leighton, you've got the same problem we do, because you're saying it's nations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we're going to say that God chooses you know, some individuals for salvation and, and most people for damnation, you're saying that God chooses one nation and chooses all other nations for damnation. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the, Target's the, different. You're talking individually versus corporately, but... It, yeah, it's still the same problem. The You've either got damning God, and God, God damning individuals or God damning whole corporate, corporate nations. Yeah to hell to bring glory to himself. You've got the problem either way. Yeah. So that's that's why I say it's not about ice cream. It's about <laughs> eavesdropping. <laughs> yeah. Is, when you re, when you switch that perspective to you know like I said think like a Jew if you hold to the Tanakh and you're rejecting the Messiah, what would Paul need to say to you using the Tanakh to explain to you that Jesus was the Messiah that it was justified for God? to use the Jews to crucify the Messiah and bring salvation to the Jews and the Gentiles mm-hmm. because it's for everyone now. Yeah. I no. mean, the, the, when, the, when the older son came in, 
and started complaining to the father. The father didn't reject him, right? Yeah. He pled with him. Please come in. Yeah. <laughs> come in and welcome my other son. Let's party together, the whole family. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It's ah, It just kind of blows my mind. Yeah, it's very cool. And I think, you know, yeah. and you might not agree with this, and this might be a completely brand new perspective for you. Your head might be spinning. You might be... Yelling, you might have already turned this off and go, these yeah. people are crazy. Yeah. Um, right. We miss you. Hi. Um, but I think the different perspectives are helpful because you might be wrong and you might have a very ingrained westernized thinking in how you're reading the Bible. And Will and I have said this several times on the channel that reading the Bible literally includes the literal context. And I think if you miss that, you miss a lot. And we're going to talk about... Um, in the coming weeks and months, we're going to talk about the atonement. We're going to talk about sin. Um, and those are going to be very important because we have a lot of concepts on what we believe based on different theologians throughout the ages, different commentaries, different thoughts, uh, different cultural ideas that have infested the church. And we've used that and run with it. And now we said that's Christian. Um, I just need to be careful. I think we should all take that pause. Make sure you're not in an echo chamber of Romans 9, uh, <laughs> yeah. which I would say probably everyone is. <laughs> yeah. There's very few that are not in a Romans 9 echo chamber. We all like to go to this one and fight. Um, right. And Yeah, I just, my good friend Craig gave me a book called The Faith of God's Elect. And it, it's just a skinny, real thin book, and it came from Britain. And it was, um, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, but it, it was owned by a Calvinist. And he had written all kinds of notes about why it was wrong in, in the <laughs> margins. And then apparently he'd, you know, dropped it somewhere and, and, and my friend bought it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he, he gave it to me, you know, Craig gave it to me and I'm reading it going, yeah, this, this is wrong. This is wrong. You know, I'm, I'm reading it and, you know, I'm agreeing with the, the guy with all the mad notes. You yeah. Know, I, yeah, boy, that's bad. That's bad. But then he got to Romans 9 and all he said was, um, in Romans 9, Paul is explaining some, oh, some of the Jews didn't think that, that the Gentiles should be in the covenant, and that's what Paul is explaining to them. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, that's all it said. So then wow. I went to Romans 9, and I started reading, and I started researching, and, you know, Old Testament. And that's, you know, that's where what I've just presented came from, hmm. that, that one you know, that one paragraph where he just said, look, some Jews didn't think the Gentiles should be in the covenant, and that's what Romans 9 is about. That's where the idea came from. Yeah. So, and I wouldn't recommend that you buy that book, because <laughs> it's a lot of stuff that I would, I think is demonstrably false, but he was right in that, on that aspect. Yeah. So, you know, I, you can, you can learn stuff from people you disagree with. Yeah. It's well, good. And I think we could, you guys can probably all level, levy some accusations against Jordan. But I, don't, I uh, if you don't agree with some of the things he's saying, but I don't think that you can levy the accusation that he's not trying to think biblically, right? You just heard a, a ton of different quotes from the Bible. Granted, not all were from Romans nine, so you no. violated the James White rule there. But yeah, he told Lazy Flowers, <laughs> explain Romans nine without going outside Romans nine. <laughs> like, yeah. But a good exegetical practice anyways, if something doesn't 
make sense or isn't clear or could go three or four different ways, then you go to other parts of Scripture to add clarity. If you have compounding evidence that one of the four views that you could take on this part of Romans 9 is is more accurate based on other parts of Scripture, then that should add more weight. That is a good exegetical practice, and you don't have to follow some internet theologian's rules on how to read Romans 9. Right. No offense, yeah. James White, but there's different ways yeah. to read it. Um, and I think... At the very least, there's a lot of disagreement, there's a lot of disunity on Romans 9, but I think we all need to go back to Scripture and not go back to your favorite commentary, not go back to what you heard. Just just read it and see what you think. And I think there's a whole lot more to Romans 9 than just the will of God. Yeah, it, <laughs> it feels to me like Arminius and Calvin are sitting in a couch in the living room arguing over whether... Keegan took all the ice cream when he mm-hmm. went back to the kitchen. Yeah. And they're arguing over ice cream, you know? Yep. They have two different views about how much ice cream, if it was all the ice cream or some of the ice cream, you know? <laughs> did he get did he get the other did he get out the Neapolitan? You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whatever, you know? Yep. It just feels like it's an argument over ice cream when you yeah. just step back and it's about eavesdropping. Just try a different perspective, see if that doesn't resolve all of these issues. And, you know, a different perspective won't, won't fix the problem and, and make it easier to, to understand. I think that any Jew um, would have picked up on all of this stuff, what Paul is saying, because that is so ingrained. Like I said, you see it over and over and over again. If, if you read the gospel with those points, those seven points in mind, you'll see those things assumed over and over and over again in the text. Everybody would have thought that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I hope it helps somebody. Well, it's interesting <laughs> for me because I actually had not heard Jordan's perspective on this until today. Uh, Will had heard it, but he's like, "You're going to enjoy this." And um, I didn't say this at the beginning, but I grew up Calvinist, and I grew up learning the what James White would agree with another Calvinist about Romans nine that it's a very sovereignty of God chapter. It's proving that God has will, and he's choosing vessels for wrath and choosing vessels for mercy, and it's all on God, and it's not about anything that you do. Um, and oh, the, by the way, don't don't read the last few verses <laughs> of the chapter, because that kind of yeah, refutes everything. Well. But um, so it's been interesting to me, and just spending a lot of time with Will, spending a lot of time with Scripture, and just well, see if I'm right. And, I, and turns out I was wrong about a lot of things. I'm probably still wrong about a lot of things, and I enjoy conversations like this because, Jordan, you and I have not agreed on everything. We had no. a very fun lunch a couple months ago, or maybe it was a month ago. That yeah, you're coming around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Jordan sitting next yeah, to my wife. Just, my yeah, wife's like, yeah, Jordan's making Your some good points. Your wife agreed with me. <laughs> yeah. so Will's agreed with Jordan, so I'm like three on one. I'm like, yeah. someone give me a margarita. Oh, this is an in- more intense yeah. lunch than I was expecting. Yeah. But you can learn from people you disagree with, and uh, we've gotten this complaint a few times that, well, you should you should confront them. I, and I do confront Jordan on some things, but yeah. this is an interest. This is a new perspective, hopefully for some people. Maybe you're like, oh, I thought this all the time. What are you talking about? This is nothing new. Yeah, <laughs> boring. Okay, well, I'm sorry it was boring for you. Um, thanks for the click, anyways. Um, yeah, but. It was fun for me. I hope it was fun for you. And uh, at the very least, we gave you something to listen to while you're vacuuming your house. Um, but Yeah, shameless plug. It, I do have it written in my book. So there's a lot more in there than <laughs> Romans 9. That's just one, 
one chapter, and I do discuss where, um, where Calvin's view came from, where Augustine got it, um, and it wasn't Manichaeism. That, it's ridiculous, <laughs> that, that claim yeah. that is Manichaeism. But anyways, um, well, but, so, yeah. yeah. So there, the, it is in there if you want to see it. It's a couple bucks on Kindle on Amazon. So do us all a favor. If, if you've listened to this so far, give it a like, give it a share. My goal here is to is to be the usurper. I'm usurping Will's power today. And uh, so let's make him really jealous and have this episode have tons of views and likes. <laughs> so share it around, add a whole bunch of comments, give us what you think, tell us where you think we're wrong. Let's have some really fun dialogue because I think that's where we can really challenge our, our ideas is when you actually test them out with other people, not just in your own echo chamber, not with everyone that's in your, your cigar club who agrees with you, but really test it out with people that don't agree and have a honest and polite an interesting discourse. And I think, I hope, and I think this episode will foster some of that. Um, any last thoughts you want to add, Jordan? Yeah, you know, I love the way Leighton Flowers approaches topics. And, you know, sometimes I scream at my radio too, but you have to respect the man for the way that, that he talks to people, his humility, his his relentless pursuit of the truth. He just yeah. feels like a, like a kindred spirit. And you know, we were eating supper together, and I was telling <laughs> telling Will and Brian that you should own a copy of John Calvin's commentaries. I mean, Arminius recommended the commentaries. That man's knowledge of the church fathers is mind-boggling to me. You can, you know, if you want to know what the church fathers said about a passage, you know, Isaiah chapter 2, you, you flip open his commentary and it's, you know, Anselm said this, Tertullian said this, Ambrose said this. It's just one thing after another. So the, the guy was really smart. Yeah. I just, I just think he missed, you know, this, this uh, perspective on Romans 9. That's awesome. Well, thanks, guys, for tuning in. Don't forget to give us a like and subscribe. Again, let's let's make sure this has way more views than any of other videos <laughs> just with Will on. Um, we've had a lot of fun. Jordan, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me. Really enjoyed the perspective. You guys got a lot of Bible tonight, a lot of interest, and you got, a, I think, a really interesting overarching story that Jordan kept referring back to, which I think really put things into perspective. So... As you're reading your Bible this week, let's just think about, hey, am I reading this from the right perspective? Am I in the right mindset? Who is this actually to? And maybe you guys already do that already, but I think it's always a good reminder to think about who the audience was. And am I thinking of it in the Western mindset, the anti-Jewish mindset that so many people seem to have now, and really fall in love with the text and fall in love with who Paul was really talking about and what controversy was he really trying to weigh in at? And I think I, I do think Jordan has really, really good and accurate perspective on the controversy at the time. So thank you all for watching. Uh, appreciate everyone uh, staying the whole time. Uh, this has been fun. Jordan, thanks again, and uh, stay tuned for the next episode.